only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Well, to mention, but the words of the hymn that Jason so beautifully played are uh, two verses are found there in your bulletin. Uh, certainly rich rich uh, expressions of faith in Christ. Uh, we'll be reading from 1 Peter this morning, and if you want to use the Pew Bible, it's found on page 1014. 1014, we'll be reading. Uh, we're going to be dealing with, as the uh, title says, uh, critical principles for uh, the new year critical perspectives for a new year, and I'm taking them from 1 Peter, and we'll deal with one section this morning and then a second section next uh, morning, and we're basically going to talk about two aspects of the uh, two perspectives. One is on hope, and one is on holiness, and I introduce it by the idea that if, if a man has hope, he, he'll be a man who brings this positive energy uh, and expectation into every day. He is not put, given to despair. Uh, he's throwing everything that he has and all of his capacities uh, in the full weight of his being into doing good every day if that's combined with holiness or character. A man of hope and character is the most powerful man on earth. A man of hope and character. A man who gives himself expectantly, always expectant as to what he might be able to do, what might be done. And his hope or expectation is directed by his character. He only wants to do good. This is speaking in ideal terms, of course. But, but a man of hope and character. And the first part of First Peter 1 deals with hope. And then, it, not that it doesn't deal at all with character, because we'll see it does. But especially, character is talked about in the second half of the chapter as he talks about holiness uh, so we'll we'll talk about character under that title of holiness, and that gives us two H's, and that's always fun. Um, so hope and holiness. Now, because verse thirteen deals so strongly with hope, I'm going to uh, include that as well, and we won't be dealing with uh, verses ten through twelve, uh, just because I'm I'm teaching more thematically uh, this morning, but we'll read it just to give the context. <clears throat> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of yourselves. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And though we're not going to deal with that section, uh, just to underscore the fascinating interplay of Christ and the Spirit, that it's the Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament indicating to these prophets, the Spirit of Christ predicting the sufferings of Christ. And then, of course, this gospel that's announced about Christ is brought to you by the Holy Spirit. So here's the Spirit working in the Old Testament. He's called the Spirit of Christ, indicating, predicting the sufferings of Christ. And then when they came about, that same Spirit was uh, bringing that good news through the, those who preached. So it's a beautiful, beautiful section there. Then verse 13, Therefore, having said this up to this point primarily about hope, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, a little sheet that was handed out, hopefully will... Be helpful to you in understanding this passage. Um, We're going to look at hope under three titles. First, hope begun, and that's primarily going to deal with this section at the top of the page, okay? Hope begun. Then, hope fulfilled, and we're going to deal with the right side of the page, okay? That's hope fulfilled. And then finally, hope lived, Hope lived, taken from the idea at the top of the right side, living hope, okay? What does that mean, that it's a living hope? And then hope lived on the left side of the page. So, uh, kind of counterclockwise at the top to the right and then to the left. 
uh, hope begun, hope fulfilled, and hope lived. Hope we see in this passage begins in eternity. Hope begins before the foundation of the world. Uh, That's why hope ultimately is unassailable because God plans it and the little pea shooters of history, the little pea shooters of the devil and the world uh, cannot harm this tank that God has planned that will roll to where he wants it to roll. Hope is begun in eternity because it says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, elect, chosen, but chosen, notice, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, this includes God knowing what he's going to do, knowing how he's going to get the gospel out to the world, knowing who's he's going to bring into the world even physically, and then knowing how the gospel will get to the world, what he will do to bring each person to himself, and how he will nurture them and carry them through until the final day in the new heavens and the new earth. So according to this knowledge of what he's going to do, he chooses his people. And so, but, but really, this idea of foreknowledge has more to do with the idea of God knowing Israel in the Old Testament, knowing them, setting his love upon them, associating himself with them, identifying with them, being intimate with them, and uh, attending them, and defending them, and being for them. That God did before the world began. Set his love upon you. Loved you. Uh, planned that he would have you. Planned that he would draw you. Planned that he would own you and you would belong to him forever. He set his love on you before the world began. That's why you have hope. That's the beginning of hope in eternity. And I've used this illustration. I'm going to talk about it again. William Wallace in at least the movie Braveheart. Um, when his father and other uh, cohorts were murdered by Longshanks, he stood at his father's grave. And you remember uh, Mirren, this little girl, brought to him this thistle, this purple flower, and handed it to him, seeing his grief, his tears at his father's uh, funeral. And so after his distant uncle takes him away and trains him in battle, trains him in languages, uh, and he comes back an accomplished man, but comes back planning to live a peaceful life, to settle down and get married. He immediately uh, goes to see Muran, and they start seeing each other, and <clears throat> there's an interchange in which he says, uh, I won't try to do a Scottish accent because it would grieve you to hear that, but um, <clears throat> he says... Uh, I want to teach you uh, a language. And would, I would like to teach you a language. Would you like to? She says, yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, teach you to read. That's what it was. He says, I'm going to teach you to read. And then she says, okay. And he says, which language? She says, oh, now you're showing off. He said, yeah, are you impressed? She says, well, no, should I be? And then he says in French, yes, because every single day, I've thought about you. And then that night, 
he hands her a fold of leather and she unfolds the leather and you know what was in it. It's the purple flower. And so later, when he does actually propose to her, he says, I love you, always have, I want to marry you. And I think this is one of the most beautiful expressions of God setting his love upon us, in a sense, uh, having this flower, you know, from eternity. And then at some point, he gives it to us. And he says, I've always loved you. I I love you. I always have. I want to marry you. That's that's the gospel. That's, That's what happens when God sets his love on us from eternity. He gives us hope. That's our hope, that he has loved us. So we're elect. And see, there's a great phrase, elect exiles. Exiles is taken from the Jewish idea of being exiled from Jerusalem, but we're not exiled from physical Jerusalem. We're exiled from heavenly Jerusalem. We're exiled from our country that is to come, from the new heavens and the new earth. We're not exiled from this creation because we read that the meek will actually inherit the earth. This is our Father's world. And though the evil is off strong, yet the battle will yet be won, as uh, the the hymn says. And... Heaven and earth will be one, as that hymn goes on to say. So this earth is ours to inherit, but the society of this world that opposes God, that hates God, makes us exiles. We're foreigners. We belong to the citizenship of the new heavens and the new earth. And so we don't have a home. But here's the beautiful part. You're elect exiles, right? You're chosen <laughs> He set his love upon you. And so in the midst of being foreigners, in the midst of being in the dispersion, another uh, Jewish idea, in, in the midst of being dispersed among those who care nothing for God, we're yet his chosen, his beloved. An encouragement for you. You're the beloved. And as John says, it doesn't appear yet what we shall be, but we are the children of God. Amen. We'll be revealed in glory in that day, no matter what happens to us, no matter what anybody does to us, no matter how many of us get killed. We are the children of God, the elect exiles. And he goes on to say, we're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. And this is not referring to the ongoing sanctification of the Spirit. It's talking about the initial bringing us into the realm of the holy. The realm of the holy. This, this I think, in these first passages, talking about His bringing us to Himself. And it began in eternity, and then He brings us into the holy. It's described later in First Peter as, we went from darkness to light. Or, as Paul describes it, from the dominion of uh, of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Or, in another place, from the power of Satan to God. And being in the holy realm means we've been separated out for God. We belong to him. We're intimate with him. So, through the sanctification of the Spirit, being brought from death to life. And this means that we've been redefined. We're actually called the holy ones now. Redefined, uh, redesigned, remade, redistributed <laughs> into the world now. Redistributed now as holy ones, as those are now light and not darkness, made for himself. And it says, unto, you see these underscored, obedience. And I've uh, 
done the phrase as I think it should be translated because it's obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. There's only one mention of Christ and it's associated with the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, I think. But the obedience is likely the obedience of faith as Paul describes it in Romans 1. That obedience of believing, of trusting. That's the primary obedience that we must give to God, that we must give to Jesus Christ. Uh, It is obedient to trust Him. That is the declaration of the gospel. The command of the gospel is believe. Trust yourself. Trust this Savior. Entrust yourself to Him. Uh, Cause yourself to belong to Him. You know, sign yourself over to Him. Give yourself up to Him. Entrust yourself to Him. That's a command. And so he's, he's chosen us according to his foreknowledge and, this, and to bring us into the holy realm because we've given ourselves up to trust ourselves to Jesus. And part of that trust is to trust ourselves to the sprinkling of his blood. Likely taken from Exodus 24 where in the covenant where the people declared all that the Lord has declared to us, we will do. And at that point, they were sprinkled with the blood of the bulls. So there's that combination of giving themselves in allegiance and being sprinkled clean with the blood of bulls. But this is a different blood, right? This is the blood of the Savior, the Son of God. That the, that the bulls' blood was only a picture of, but this blood absolutely takes sin away from us. And in being sprinkled with this blood, it causes us, doesn't it, to love this one who would shed his blood for us. It it causes us humility because we realize he had to shed his blood for me. I was sinful. That's the reason he's had his, his blood was shed, because of my sin. It causes gratitude that he would do this. It brings peace and hope and joy and amazement to us that this is the Savior that I serve, one who sprinkles me with his blood. So here is hope begun. Hope begun in eternity. Hope brought about because we've been brought into the holy realm. We are different people because of the Holy Spirit. And we now begin to be obedient. And we are cleansed in His blood. We have intimacy with Him. So hope begun, but then hope fulfilled. He calls it, you see, uh, on the left side, on the right side there, a living hope. He's caused us to be born again to this living hope. Uh, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that phrase shows that there's not just a general deity out there. There's one God, and He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only God there is. The God who's in relationship to His Son, Jesus Christ. But we don't have time to spend more time on that. But, um, but this, this living hope, notice, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we... <laughs> You might say this, that even when we die, there's this kind of sense in heaven that people are looking over their shoulders and saying, what about, what about my body? We don't tend to think that way. We tend to think, like most religions say, you're done with that part of your life. You're done with the body. That's over. Don't mind that anymore. It's in the grave. It's gone. You're on to something else. But it's amazing how... The fantasies that spring up of what do you do stuff with after that? What, what is your humanity? Are you just this spirit forever and ever and ever? I mean, what are you? 
And it, it really gets to the root of what we are as human beings. Uh, is there going to be a full restoration of our humanity or not? Uh, does, he, uh, does he really change me and my whole being? Is there the restoration of me? And you might say that in Christianity, there's a radical no-soldier-left-behind policy. Nobody left behind. I mean, literally, nobody's body left behind in Christianity. Because he will raise every single one of those bodies up because bodies are a vital part of our humanity. And what other religion even begins to think about that? About your real body in the grave. What's going to happen with that body? Christianity takes it seriously. It's real. And how really is this going to happen? It happened through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we understand is the guarantee and the foundation for our resurrection. He's just the first fruit of the resurrection. So that he'll be the firstborn of many. First resurrected of many. And we read about the new life, and it's as though we're become superhuman practically, as it's described in 1 Corinthians 15. The, the power and the glory of our new bodies uh, could call, call us in a way superheroes in the sense of our new powerful capacity as human beings. But really there's only one hero, and that's Jesus, and we're there as the result of his heroism. But but we, we enter into this new and glorious being uh, and resurrection of our bodies. And the primary part of this is that we are in new relationship, new relationship to God so that in all of our human endeavor in the new heavens and the new earth, we have a perfect delight in God. We really do enjoy Him forever. We really enjoy Him. We, if, if there is a waking up, I don't know if there's going to be sleep in the new heavens and earth, but can you imagine those days that you wake up and it, everything seems perfect? You're perfect at ease, perfect at peace, and you're like, no, I never have remembered a day like that. But just that, that, that every day is that kind of day, full of joy, full of expectation, amazed at God. And you never cease in your amazement. You never cease in your wonderment, your admiration for Him. And then that you have these perfect relationships with everyone around you, uh, that you are loved perfectly, you love them perfectly, no one ever hurts you, you never hurt anyone, you never have a pang of conscience ever again the rest of your life. Not one, because you're perfect, perfect in holiness, perfect in happiness, fully fulfilling your complete um, humanity in all the capacities you have, raised capacities as a human being to express yourself forever in this perfected, glorious world. That's the inheritance. And you follow down this straight line on the right side, and these are just different descriptions of that same thing. This living hope is an inheritance, imperishable. It can't be destroyed, undefiled. It can't be ruined, unfading. It can't be diminished. It's kept in heaven for you. Why is it kept in heaven for you? Because Christ is the essence of your inheritance. He, it is in Him and being joined to Him that you have this inheritance. He's going to receive this inheritance. There's no doubt about it. 
There's no question that Jesus is not going to receive his inheritance for what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. And there's no doubt that you will do, uh, receive it because you are joined to him. It says in uh, Romans 8.17 that if we suffer with him, we'll be glorified with him. Amazing. Glorified with him. And so it's described as salvation, you see there below. Ready to be revealed at the last time. Uh, So we're being saved, but the final fulfillment of that salvation, the final rescue from sins, when sin is removed and guilt is completely gone from our lives and misery completely gone from our lives, that's the final salvation. That's what God's getting to. And he won't be satisfied. He will not be stopped before that final salvation occurs. That's what he's after in our life. That's what he chose us for. And it's described in a stunning way below there, you see, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How can that be? (laughs) This is not praise and glory and honor to God, though, of course, that will be the essence of what happens. But it's talking about because we share in Christ, because we're joined in Christ, there will be praise and glory and honor. How can that be? This is your destiny. Elect exiles. This is your destiny, whomever may be martyred in this world for Christ. Praise and glory and honor. Again, it's called the salvation of your souls. And at the very bottom, it's called the grace that would be brought to you. You see, your whole life is dominated by grace. But there's a grace that's coming, an undeserved favor that's going to finally fully spill out into your life. And... It's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation of Jesus Christ you see is repeated. That's why the little arrow and then revealed is the same word. Um, well, no, I, th- I think I drew the arrow in myself for, my, for myself. I've got the same sheet and I drew some things that you don't have. But you're not getting it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so the word revealed, revelation, revelation. So this is something that will be unveiled, you see, this final salvation, this final inheritance. And, but I want to finally talk about not just hope begun or hope fulfilled, but it means now hope lived. How do we live out hope? That's the critical thing for you and me, isn't it? That having it begun and, and seeing its fulfillment... That we so dwell upon its fulfillment, we so meditate and reflect upon the glory and beauty of it, we become so astonished at it, so excited by it, so comforted and relieved and encouraged by it, so taken up with it, that it really affects how we think and live. That's a living hope. A hope that lives, a hope that influences, a hope that changes, a hope that affects your life. That's a living hope. Otherwise, it's a dead hope. It's doing nothing for you, right? It's not affecting any moment, any anything you do. If it's not a living hope, what does it do? What's the point? Is it just to tuck away and say, yeah, I got that part. I know what's going to happen. And then I'm going to muddle through my life. You see it, how it changes their life here. It's, and, and notice, and here I know I have these arrows about faith, uh, the little outside arrows on the left side, talking about the genuineness of your faith and obtaining as the outcome of your faith. 
you're guarded by God's power, but the God's power is not magical. It's not automatic in the sense. He does guard you by His power, but it's as we trust in His power, as we entrust ourselves to Him, as we believe in the greatness of His purpose for us. We believe in the great love that He has for us and that our inheritance is sure, and so we can spend ourselves lavishly. We can lose everything. It doesn't matter because we have this inheritance. And so he says, though you hadn't seen him and you don't see him now, you still love him, you still believe in him, you still rejoice. And it's a joy that's so great it can't even be expressed. It's a joy that just takes you over sometimes. It's a joy that's filled with glory. It's uh, that, that speaks to the glory that's to come. So the glory of what's to come begins to flavor my life. So I'm really tasting of heaven. I'm really sipping on the glory of heaven. You know, sipping on... I don't mean to demean it by this term, but maybe this communicates something. Sipping on the big gulp, you know, that's coming. But I, I've, it's already in hand. I'm already tasting it. And it's already, this anticipation is already changing me. So that we're not morose and miserable, as Schreiner says in his commentary, in the midst of our suffering. We're actually filled with a love for Christ. He's precious and lovely to us. And I love what John Brown in the 19th century says, This hope will induce a man to submit to the greatest evils rather than renounce the faith of Christ. That's what this hope will do. And it will keep him cheerful and happy under all the sacrifices which he may be called on to make in the cause of his Savior. Now, that's idealistic. It's speaking in perfect terms. But this is the tendency... It will enable me to submit to anything rather than renounce him. And it will tend to make me, even as this passage says, to cause to be able to love him and trust him and rejoice in him no matter what happens to me. Now, I love how it says, In this you rejoice, though grieved by various trials. You are truly grieved. You're truly suffering. You're truly hurting. But you rejoice. Why? In this you rejoice, in this that God has done what He has done for you, how He owns you, how your future is in His hands. This affects how you live. This taste of heaven. And so, I challenge you in this new year to live in hope. I challenge you in the new year to... Ask yourself, how often do I reflect? How often does this hope affect the way I deal with my husband or wife and my children? How does it affect the way I go at my work? How does it affect the way I mow my grass? And it should and it will. It affects every part of your life. And how has this hope brought me to a place where I love him though I don't see him? And I have a joy in him that begins to be inexpressible. At least, brothers and sisters, when you see this, this becomes a great matter for prayer. This is why studying the scripture is so important for your prayer life. Because he describes what's going on in real believers' lives. And you think, 
I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to expect God to do this for me because they're the same miserable slobs I am, you know. They're the same helpless, weak people, sinful people that I am. And look what God is doing for them. I bet he means to do that for me. That I could have joy inexpressible. That I could love him though I don't see him. Oh, Lord, bring this about. Oh, Lord, cause me to be born again to a living hope, a hope that lives, that lives, that affects everything I do. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, you're described in Scripture as those without hope. No hope. I don't care what you're hoping in or what you expect to do in your life. Ultimately, Scripture would say, oh, you have no hope. No hope of resurrection. No hope of a new life. No hope of the new heavens and the new earth. No hope of the forgiveness of your sins. Only the expectation of judgment forever. Won't you, won't you give yourself to this Savior? In a new year, live in hope. Live in hope. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise your great name that you have caused us to be born again to this living hope. May it so powerfully influence all that we do. Lord, we'll be those who really more and more a day won't go by that this hope doesn't affect us and begin to change us, relieve us and comfort us, make us more resilient in difficulty, make us more patient with one another, more ready to bear with one another and forgive each other. Lord, that this hope would take the edges off our personalities, that would help remove anger from our lives, it would help remove revenge and retaliation and sullenness. Lord, that this hope would sweeten us and change us, that we'd begin to live out this heavenly hope. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us with hope and holiness, hope and character. We may have the greatest possible influence in this coming year and throughout the whole of our lives. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. My Lord, my life, my light Oh, come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?